0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast Working Drummer Today I talk to Gary Forkham Gary is the owner of Forks Drum Closet in Nashville, Tennessee What started as a closet full of cymbals and sticks In the back of a music store in 1982 Has grown into the premier pro drum shop in Music City From students to seasoned pros, customer loyalty has been at the root of Fork's success. To find out more about this episode and other episodes we've recorded, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Working underscore Drummer. We are also on Instagram. You can find us on iTunes where you can subscribe and new episodes will be sent to your smart device every week. If you like what you hear, leave us a review and rate the podcast. And finally, we just started a new YouTube channel where you can see videos of our interviews. Find it under Working Drummer Podcast. So here is Gary Forkham. I went to see you the other day, uh, and well, actually, I called you, and uh, they said you were over at Corner uh, taking lessons.
1: I'll take piano lessons.
0: Yeah. How long have you been doing? I know. I mm. knew when I worked for you back in 2000. You were you were playing piano or you were talking about your piano at home. Yeah. Now you played. So have yeah. you played for well, a long time?
1: Well, we had a piano at at my house when I was a kid. Yeah. And I just messed around with it and I tried to take lessons a couple of times, but it was, you know, the old ladies that were you know, the gang, 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 gang and I just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. I'm yeah. just so uh I bought a piano oh I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago now, and just got some chord books. Uh, steely dan books mainly i think and that's
0: what it was i think yeah, you had just bought those books yeah
1: when i and so i would go home and i would figure out as much of it that i could and start playing the songs because i knew the songs and then i'd call my buddy jeff jones who's a guitar player in our band mm-hmm. who's uh, knows theory and say how do you play an e7 sharp nine <laughs> you know so i wore him out with that and i just kind of learned those chords by memory i didn't know why it was an e7 sharp knot, yeah yeah you know? so i decided uh another friend of mine who i'd played with bob easter came over and said i'm gonna start teaching piano at corner would you send me some students i said i'm signing up let me know when you're ready so when was that uh, maybe six or seven months ago now oh not recently yeah. no what it's just i've been taking a while so wow. i take once a week wow. and um i actually practice and He's taught me scales and theory, and and he's getting my left hand, which was horrible. He's getting it where I can actually play some chords now and play a few bass patterns, and so it's fun. And I and I that's what I write music on his piano. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's kind of fun because um, you feel like
0: your left hand on the snare drum now. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's just the best I would do is just you know. One bass note while I'm playing chords, and now he's got me where I can do octaves, and I can, I can play some chords, and and he's taught me scale so I can solo a little bit. I'm pretty terrible still, but at least I'm getting better. And
0: yeah, Pia- uh,
1: piano's like
0: drums in in the sense that you can make music instantly. Yeah, and um, especially for young people that are starting. It's not like the violin or the saxophone mm-hmm.
1: where... Oh, yeah. It takes months and months to even get the, a note out, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, both my boys are... I just started taking uh,
0: piano about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm real excited. We have a
1: nice kawaii piano and a keyboard. And so it's That's just, what I, I have a kawaii, that a church traded in a corner. It's a little baby grand. Yeah. And... Larry my wife slipped over the corner and saw it and made a deal with Larry and got it pretty cheap, so and um, it's a good sign of one. And we finally find a piano tuner who'll come like every three or four months and keep it in tune for me. So we might
0: need to get that number from you. Yeah, he's good. Mine's out of tune and I don't need my boys to be like hearing <laughs> out of tune stuff and especially as they're learning to play it's saxophone good. and sing Yeah, and,
1: and And you know, I think I think learning piano has really helped me with my my drumming, because I when, when I can the,
0: guess, but why? when they
1: well they can when they can when when they're talking about all right let's go to the two chord or let's yep. go to this and I I kind of know where they are I can I, it it just right it just helps knowing what's going on yeah I uh, we all have... really hate it when I go no that's F sharp minor seven. <laughs> 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 It's like Ringo going, hey, guys, yeah. I wrote a song. Yeah, Sure, thanks, man. <laughs> <Hannah." laughs>
0: well, I, I know what you mean, though. And uh, w- theories help me in the sense that when I first moved down here and uh, people would hand me number charts yeah. and you start to understand how that system works. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to go on. Mm-hmm. You can see it may be going back between a one, four, one, four. And all of a sudden it hits a five and you're thinking something's going on here. So as the drummer, you've got to bring something to the mm-hmm, table. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to go to a six minor for the first time, and that might lead to the bridge. Or mm-hmm. not just based on form, but just based on mm-hmm. chord structure, especially when you understand what those things kind of sound yep.
1: like in relation to. That was our last lesson that I took with Bob was writing chord charts. We'd, we'd put a song on, and he goes, all right, let's start. And you know, I'd do the, the measure, and then he taught me how to do the repeat signs. and mm-hmm. That's still in progress right now but that's so 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 that when i go to rehearsal i can instead of i'm gonna play this for you and you gotta write your own chart hopefully my my idea will i've written a song here's the chart let's go
0: well the is the band that you're working with is it is it the tell me what you're doing drumming
1: wise well i still have the midnight riders which is the the Almond Brothers Tribute Band. Okay. We play a couple of times a month. But the original thing that I'm doing is it's called the Blues Apostles. Okay. And it's kind of my project with Jeff Jones, who is in the Midnight Riders, mm-hmm. and J.D. Williamson, who is the bass player in the Midnight Riders. And then I've got uh, a great keyboard player, a great piano player, Bob Easter, and another great keyboard player, uh, Herman DePriest. Mm-hmm. So I'm really blessed to have two well, great keyboard players in okay. one band and um we're just doing original stuff and it's bluesy and um mainly there was a a tune we did a couple of days ago that had a, a kind of a jazz feel to it and mm-hmm. so it's a lot of fun
0: and it's all original mm-hmm. stuff and it's mostly your stuff
1: yeah, yeah. O- occasionally we will take an old cover and and do something with it you know do our own version of it but uh-huh. but yeah man that's cool it's fun yeah, it's it really keeps me f- focused and uh you know, if, if I go a couple of weeks and don't have a gig, I can, I can work on the original stuff and yeah. kind of get smart. Yeah. Uh, what are
0: you using when you were playing out with these guys?
1: Or is uh, it the same kit? Well, this band hasn't played out live yet. We, okay. We've, we've done one album yeah. last year and we immediately started on this next one. We've got about uh, eight or nine songs in a can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're hoping to, once we finish this album, we're gonna maybe work up enough songs to go out and play a little bit. Nice, nice. But I've, I've mainly been using my Gretches. The same thing I use. When the I green play out. sparkle. No, black. I don't have those anymore. I've got a piano black kit that I got out of okay. the vineyard in in Ridgeland. <laughs> that's that's a cool kit. So. Wow, wow. Yeah, they, they they've uh, my Gretches have served me well. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. You know, I I just it was. The first drum line that I had when I opened the store back in 82, wow. they were the first company that came to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I immediately liked them. I just like that sound. I, mm-hmm. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I try other things. And the other things are cool and have different sounds. And, mm-hmm. But I just gravitate back to them all the time.
0: Right, right, right. Well, tell me about that. Um, for I kind of know the history uh, for people that don't know, I worked for you for a couple years, 2000, 2001. Really? Uh, I thought you were
1: there longer than that.
0: Well, I guess it was uh, late ninety. Kind of How left and came back a little bit? Or? Uh, no, that might have been just my work schedule. <laughs> 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 well, you know what it was. Uh, it was late 90. I moved down in uh, late 99, and um, Matt...
1: Pa- uh, was it Payne or Green?
0: Matt Green, green. was leaving. Okay after years of working for you. Yeah, 10 years. And it was just a quick, tra- easy transition. Mm-hmm. I just happened to come in on the right day. Mm-hmm. Matt was leaving that next week, and, and you knew Jim Rupp from right. Columbus Pro, where I had worked uh, before.
1: He called me up and said, you're stealing my best guy. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> and then he hung up the phone, he picked up another phone and said, you're stealing my name, best <laughs> guy. You're stealing my best guy. He says that about everybody. Um, so he, uh, and then it was... Uh, I think the week of September 11th. I, rem- I remember oh, really? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I was. We're just going through some transition. I was uh, playing more, and and you were growing, and, mm-hmm. and had more people coming in, and just. I think there was that uh, that mutual like, hey, listen, uh, I need more hours from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I need somebody that can work more mm-hmm. hours. Okay, well. <laughs> I'll keep in touch, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and you were starting to play more, so yeah, you yeah, transition from mm-hmm. uh, from that into playing, which is which has been good, but um, it's been uh, Forks has been like for so many people uh, just that home base for drummers in Nashville, and um, I kind of want to get into this maybe a little bit later, but. Um, kind of what it means to so many people in this environment, which is so different and unique mm-hmm. to most cities in the country. But um, I do want to kind of go back to the story of where the name came from, because oh, it yeah. kind of, <laughs> it, it it parallels the history of how the store got started.
1: Yeah, well, Forkham is my last name, so uh, uh, i a buddy of mine lived on a dead-end street, started calling me Fork when I was about six years old. Okay, So okay. <laughs> that was my nickname for for a long time. And then uh, I was running the drum department at Corner Music, and we had one room, maybe about this size right here. Yeah. And so there was uh, another shop in town. The big drum shop in town at the time was DOG Percussion, yeah. which was uh, Larry London's wife, Debbie Gallant. Mm-hmm. It's a great shop. I learned a whole lot from mm-hmm. them about... Uh, how to run a drum shop and what you should carry and how to take care of people. And uh, so I started my little shop mainly uh, Well, I was running the drum department and uh, Ernie and Jeff who worked over there would kind of tease me about how are things in the drum closet today? Yeah. The tiny little room you have over there. Yeah. So kind of uh, just as a joke started calling it the drum closet. And uh, then I had a Zildjian cymbal tree that uh, would hold 12 cymbals. And Larry Garris, the owner of Corner, would let me buy 12 cymbals and fill it up. And a reasonable amount of time, I would sell all of them. And I was like, Larry, look, I sold all these Zildjians, just get some more. And he'd go, Ah, oh, not right now. Ask me next week. And, you know, because he was a growing business at the time, he needed to pay Gibson and Fender and all right, the important right. things. And so one day, out of frustration, I just said, Why don't you sell me the drum department? And he stopped and he went, Okay. Take inventory. Let's see what we come up with. Huh. So we took inventory, and we came up with $8,000 as for a price for the drum department. Wow. So I borrowed four from my dad and four from my grandfather yeah. and started it and ran it in Corner for several months. Okay. And I would still help. I still work part-time for Corner and then, you know, do my little shop. And— uh, were
0: you working in other departments, to say yeah, to yeah. for strings I, and stuff? I used
1: to work on guitars. Some, you know, do dress frets and put in pickups. And oh, really? Change uh, actual, out keys. Wor- yeah. actual.
0: I mean, construct. Uh, yeah. Repairs and stuff. Not,
1: not real serious stuff. Not refinish or anything. Yeah. but just basic stuff like okay. That. And uh, yeah, just worked on the floor and. Uh, as, as the shop, as the drum department or the drum shop started to grow, I spent less and less time with corner. And finally, one day, I said, "You don't need to pay me anymore. I'm basically basically doing my thing." And about that time, we were in Berry Hill, where there's all houses. You know, it's all uh, it was neighborhoods that they zone commercial, and the house across the street became available. Hmm. So I went to Larry and I said, "Man, this house is available across the street. It's like three hundred fifty dollars a month." And he said, I think you should do it. And I thought, how can I pay $350 a month? <laughs> so
0: it wasn't tw- it wasn't on 12th tw- South?
1: No, this was in Berry Hill. That's where Corner no, Music started. Was... Okay, that I thought Corner Music was Corner of at... Bransford and Iris is where they got the name.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And uh, so I took the house across the street, and which gave Corner more room to expand yeah, in where they yeah. were. And uh, I think we were over at that location maybe a year, year and a half and Corner Music lost their lease. And so he went and bought the the building over on 12th Avenue, and we all moved over there together.
0: So, so did you move with them in that building? Yep. Okay.
1: We shared half of that main building when we first moved over there. Okay. Concrete floors, no okay. paint. Hold it was rough. And that neighborhood was extremely rough at that time. Right. It was a right. scary place. What year was that? 85, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It was rough over there.
0: <laughs> I remember 12th South in 2000, and it was, yeah, um, it was rough then. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So 16 years prior, you can only imagine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got robbed outside the store one time in 1990. 1990, I think it was. Wow. Yeah, at gunpoint. Okay. So we've come a long way on 12th yeah, South. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I'd
0: say so. Wow. Um, okay. Um, So then uh, the store next door where you are now, was it a – I'm trying to remember what it
1: was. It was a suede and leather cleaners. Okay. Fur coats, things like that. Okay. And during that period when uh, it became popular to – remember when everybody was painting on women's fur coats to the anti – Yeah, right, right, right. You know, killing animals type of thing. Sure, sure. And his business just went down the drain. Wow. So he came to Larry, Larry Garrison on the corner and said, I'm going to sell, give you a first shot at it. Larry came to me and said, we need to buy this building. We need the parking. And mm-hmm. and I said, well, I want to buy it, but I don't have the money to, to buy it and, and fix it up at the same time. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I'll buy it. You fix it up, move it in. When you're ready, you buy it from me. So that's what we did. About a year and a half later, I bought it from him. Okay. Which was, I think it was January of 98 that I bought it from him Moved into it in 96 So, he regrets that now because <laughs> <laughs> He wish he'd kept it <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's, so I guess when I first came down and met you um, You'd only been in there for four years
1: Yeah, 96 is when home. we moved in
0: Yeah And there were bars on the outside Oh, yeah Now, are the bars still there yeah. or just covered up?
1: I think they're, no, we took those down You did? Yeah, we took those down
0: you know what's amazing is, is uh, and I always use this kind of as a reference, that a few years ago uh, I was driving down 12th South. And for people that don't know this area or don't know Nashville, it's like so many other cities where it's um, you see it go through this change mm-hmm. and gentrification for good or bad. Um, it is what it is. But for that location, um, it was encouraging to see Around dusk, I saw a, uh, a girl probably from Belmont, so mm-hmm. probably in her early 20s, mm-hmm. just taken out, out for a jog yep. uh, on the street by herself. Yep. And I thought to myself... Wow, this street has changed. would not have happened changed.
1: 15 years ago.
0: I wouldn't have walked no. down the street myself. Yeah, exactly. Myself. Same here. Um, so hopefully it's all for the better mm-hmm. for all the residents and that.
1: Well, there is uh, so much pedestrian pedestrian traffic on that street now. I mean, there's so many baby carriages and yeah, people walking to yeah. the restaurants and go, using yeah. the park. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been an absolute wonderful transformation.
0: Yeah. I dropped my kids off at the park to yeah. come see you and yeah. then, you know, yeah. hung out. And mm-hmm. then they walked down and... Mm-hmm. We're trying to
1: pretend like there are Bohemians down at the coffee shop. <laughs> well, and then there's a um, like a farmers market type of thing every Thursday in the park down there. I, th- I think it's Thursday, maybe it's Tuesday. Yeah, but anyway, That's people come great, and sell man. vegetables and fruits and things That's like that. So, so cool, man. yeah, it's become a, a really cool community. So, the, th- so the downside sometimes though is uh, the traffic. Uh, yeah, can't, you know.
0: There's no room to expand that road,
1: yeah exactly. I can think of and one of the things that they did when they designed that is they wanted to narrow the road to slow the traffic down, so
0: okay. it was a
1: it was a planned thing yeah. to keep it narrow like that, but yeah, you got to watch what you're doing when you're driving down there, yeah
0: and you guys have expanded somewhat uh within the building itself um, it's uh there was the case area in the back that it seemed like it had gotten larger. Yeah. Um, but you also we, had to expand into other locations. Yeah, we
1: have a, we have a warehouse. Okay, we uh, we rented space over off of Fourth and Chestnut for about ten years, mm-hmm. and then we moved uh, into one of Harry McCarthy's warehouses for two years, mm-hmm. and we just bought our own warehouse last month, two months ago. And okay, moved into that. Okay, and. Uh, so we really couldn't function without a warehouse. We have all of our back stock over there, like extra export kits, Imperial Stars. Mm-hmm. We have um, probably fifteen backline kits, uh, and then all of the the Pearl DCI stuff that we get in every year. You remember oh. that what yeah. Alan does, and, mm-hmm. uh, so we have to have room for that, mm-hmm. uh, and we ship out of there. Okay. We take large shipments that come on big freight trucks out of there, rather than them trying to back up in that parking lot on Twelve.
0: Are you still doing shipping uh, out of the shop itself? Mm-mm. No. No, it's all out, out of the warehouse. warehouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have one of everything at least at the warehouse, so that people order. It's all out of there. that's the plan. Yeah, that's what okay. we try to do. Okay. Okay. So tell me about the backline uh, stuff. Is that I know that you had started a backline company.
1: You had mm-hmm. mentioned to me before that I yeah. didn't know about. Okay. Well, and it's mainly drum set stuff. We have a few uh things like uh chimes and marimbas and xylophones and things okay. like that. Okay. I have a B3 that we rent occasionally, but okay. so not in a, not a full backline company, but mainly just drums. Right. Cuz there are
0: some big backline companies in in the city. Oh yeah, yeah. Um well, where do you find that your who do you who are you catering to with that type of setup?
1: Um seems like that maybe the guys that come to town to play clubs and smaller venues mm-hmm. um seem the lower budget type okay. things that can't maybe afford the more expensive backline companies i see I and see. uh my actually Matt my son kind of got mm-hmm. it that started when you were there mm-hmm. and then um jonah my son in law mm-hmm. runs it now okay he's done a great job he's made a you know a lot of Relationships with different, with other backline companies or studios or bands that come to town, and he has regular customers that rent from him all the time.
0: Were you guys affected by the flood?
1: Yeah. You know how we set up on that hill? Yeah. I thought, I didn't even go by and check on it. I went and helped a buddy of mine who had a restaurant that was near Mills Creek that was underwater. Mm-hmm. And I helped him all day on Sunday get his stuff out of there, and mm-hmm. and we came in Monday morning, and Matt got there first and said we got water damage. And I went what? It's so much rain it just came came up through the concrete floor.
0: Holy moly! It, it was
1: like uh, it was like somebody had turned a hose on and just left it running. And we came in; it was you know about that deep, and and luckily, we, really the only thing we lost was you know the heads that sat on the floor. Yeah. The boxes were damaged, a few little things, but most of the drum sets were up out of it, mm-hmm. or they were sitting on their side, so they were on the T-rods or key rods, and so we just cleaned them, mm-hmm. and uh, we were really lucky as far as not losing any gear, but we had to take everything out of the front room and the middle room, take it to the warehouse, rip the carpet out. And then we laid that tile floor that's in there. So that took about a month. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Geez. What, not nearly as bad as a lot of people had it, but it right, right. cost us, you know, 20, 30 grand to clean up after that. Oh, my gosh. And the insurance company says, you're not covered. You're not in a flood zone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is not. No, well. <laughs> well, yeah, we had noticed. And there, it's it's been interesting just seeing the changes that have happened since that and mm-hmm. since the flood and mm-hmm. how people react to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how has how have you seen? I, I got two different versions of this question. One, one of them is, I guess I'll start with the retail end of things. So since you started mm-hmm. uh, working retail, how have you seen things change? So technically, what was this nineteen eighty two? You started mm-hmm. at Corner yeah,
1: December of eighty two.
0: So um, you know we're looking at uh, thirty three years. Mm-hmm. How have you seen things change? Is there anything significant? Yeah. Um, and stuff that's
1: um, great, stuff that really sucks? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the change is that more people walked in and bought stuff that, in those days. There wasn't as much mail order. There was Chuck Levin's and Manny's and... Mm-hmm you know those kind of places that that did some and we would always hear about atlanta pro percussion and that was a store that i always kind of
0: Mm -hmm.
1: one of these days we're gonna we're gonna be as good as atlanta pro percussion You know that's one of those things i looked up to and rhythm city was another store that did some mail order yeah that you always had to kind of match prices against but that was one of the reasons for me starting my business is I wanted to keep – a lot of people were starting to go shop out of town because mm-hmm. musicians travel so much. And then they, they realized that um, there was a store called Hughley's back in, in the day that mm-hmm. that uh, you got 10% off if you showed your union card, and that was it. Oh, wow. And this is starting in the era when, they, when Manny's and those guys started discounting a little bit. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to make sure that drummers in Nashville bought in Nashville. So I would try to match those prices and keep that. Yeah, keep the business in town. Um, then you know, then the big box stores started coming along. Um, started moving into into smaller towns or medium sized towns like Nashville. Um, I think ninety six or ninety seven is when uh, we had Thoroughbred and Mars come to town in the same yeah. year. Yeah. Um, so, so those kind of challenges, the power of those big box stores, um, and Amazon, you know, how easy it is to sit on your couch and, and find whatever you want. So those things are, are challenges to us. Um, the, the thing that we do that I think is unique is the high end stuff that we carry and, and the depth of inventory that we carry. Right. Um, so the big box stores don't. Usually carry, you know, a five or six thousand dollar DW exotic or, right, Crabbiato snare drums or Joyful Noise and things like that. So there are niches that we have that we don't we don't even have to compete against them on.
0: And you have you have players on staff that you can ask those questions. Yeah, and they have the answers to yeah. what this is going to sound like, what their experience yep. is and all those kinds of things. I'm
1: very lucky with my staff. I've had some really good guys over the years mm-hmm. that are drum geeks that, that love right. the stuff. And, right. You know, I don't have to teach them anything. They kind of come in knowing the stuff and mm-hmm. and really, you know, enjoy telling people about it Yeah, and how yeah, it works yeah. and what sounds good. And,
0: yeah. And I did retail almost seven years solid between yeah. Columbus and your place. Mm-hmm. Um but it only took a few years before i would walk back in the store and say what is this what's <laughs> yeah. this you know what is guys what is this sound I, who makes this how it changes yeah. yeah it changes so much and i realize that's kind of a um that's a formula that a lot of companies use and i think maybe it started with the japanese companies where you have this instrument that i think from the very beginning was pretty well designed mm-hmm. and worked kind of like microphones they got it right the first time (laughs) you know it sounds good and there's ways to you know make them more consistent but I think in general the drum set or the drums in general um, there really isn't a lot to do to perfect them they are I mean I'm being kind of hyperbolic but my point is things change all the time they come out with new colors mm-hmm. new designs new bearing edges new mm-hmm. hoops and you know new like hey this is going to make things better this is going to make things better but you know when i find an old modern drummer and I open it up and I start looking at the ads from like 1987. I'm thinking, I bet this kit sounds just as good
1: right now as it. <laughs> always. Trying to reinvent the wheel, aren't they? Yeah, but it piques people's interest. Yeah, you know, so they're you know, you know, I, I kind of call it variations on a theme sometimes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it recycles. Um, we're we're back in the a period now where everybody likes conventional sized drums.
0: Right, and, right,
1: and I think that's smart because obviously we realize how good they sound. Yeah, they're easier to set up and adjust than mm-hmm. big power toms were. Yeah, um, and a lot of I think a lot of our businesses from the 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 legacy uh, companies like Gretsch and and Ludwig and right, right, um, you know, people are. I mean, John Bonham still sells drum sets for for Ludwig.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: yeah we we true. carry. The three different bottom kits: uh, natural, green sparkle, and uh, and uh, amber Vista lights. Yeah. And for a while there, they were offering the. Uh, I think they still offer this, the the uh, the steel kit. Okay. So, um, but we still sell them every year. We sell several bottom kits and pasty symbols. Yep, the giant beats. Jeez. We we carry black oyster, pearl, Ludwig Ringo kits and. Yeah. You know. Wow. So so a lot of that is um the legacy of those companies still sells, even to young guys, not just old guys like me. Right. It's, right, right. So I think Premier had a Who Kit out yep. not too long ago. Yep. And,
0: um, yeah, that is amazing how they but they're finding ways to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. to to market that in, in new ways. That's and that in itself is fascinating to me, as, as overwhelming as the whole marketing thing can be. There is an art to it. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to appeal to that, you know, more creative sector of, of the consumer, mm-hmm. it's, it's weird how that works. Is there anything else that's changed that, that um, because you guys have maintained a reputation, a strong reputation um, in town and uh, that, has been a cha- anything that's been a challenge or um that you feel like I've overcome or gotten through this, I mean Mars is no longer here mm-hmm. thoroughbred. I mean, Sam they... Ashbottom.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's where they are now. Yeah. So oh.
0: I know there's uh a couple still in town, but um I don't know. Everybody I know goes <laughs> to see you.
1: <laughs> well you know, uh, we're really blessed and fortunate to have loyal customers. Yeah, you know, and that's that's huge, and um, you know, there there are people that come in and say, "I'll never go to Guitar Center, I'll never go, mm-hmm. in these other places," and that that's that's huge for us. Yeah, and uh, and hopefully we've done the right things to earn that. We've mm-hmm. treated people right, had mm-hmm. good staff to take care of them, and and um, making sure we have whatever they need whenever they need it. And, right, right. and, and that's a challenge sometimes because when I started thirty something years ago. I had a. There was a very small stick rack that I had everything in, mm-hmm. and now there are what five stick racks and hundreds of models to to choose from, and right, the right. drum head selection is mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, Symbols are. You know, there's there's just hundreds of models of symbols within Zildjian, Sabian, Paiste, Meinl, right, Istanbul. We're gonna Bosphorus. get some. I want
0: to get some pictures of that. And yeah, have that on the website. Okay, with all that stuff. In
1: so. And you guys know that whoever has been in the store, we use every inch of that place to yeah. to keep to keep product in there, yeah. so that you can you don't have to wait; you can get it hopefully immediately. Yeah. yeah and sometimes sure. you know things happen, and we get cleaned out. We'll have somebody come in and buy fifty coated fourteen-inch ambassadors and wipe out everything that's in the front, we're yeah. scrambling to get them. You right. Know, but that's that happens a lot, actually. With you know, with so many tours coming out of here, mm-hmm. they'll load up for you know for six months worth of heads, and yeah. so we have to carry pretty deep inventory on on wow. that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think there's one other guy in town that plays Regal Five Tip or Five BX, <laughs> and if he's gotten to my he's gotten stock, to then I. Have to... <laughs> um, how about Nashville? Um, I know we touched upon this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you started talking about how Nashville has changed quite a bit, mm-hmm. and being the center of the music industry and country music, and um, it's grown so much, and it's kind of going through this new growth spurt. Mm-hmm. I think when I was here in 2000, it was right in the middle of an of a growth spurt, mm-hmm. and it's going through it again. Yep, and it's on the map, and it's making the list and magazines as one of the best places to work, one mm-hmm. of the best places to live. And, um, of course, I see lots of uh, new faces around yeah. town, players, uh, musicians. But um, I think it's more than just musicians. It's not blowing up in the music sense. It's just blowing up as far as just the community in, mm-hmm. in general.
1: It seems to be a great place to live. Yeah. Uh, do and I'll, agree? I'll, uh, yeah. yeah, I still do. It's It's gotten bigger. Mm-hmm. and traffic is obviously becoming a problem right? Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh we've got a huge selection of of restaurants and oh, more so gosh. and clubs and and there's there's always tons of things to do the concert venues are mm-hmm. and there's so many different size venues and so many bands that come right. which I think is great because we used to get bypassed a lot by some of the bigger acts mm-hmm. they'd go to Atlanta or, or yeah. other places and not come here so how have yes. these changes affected you guys? Um, our traffic is our walk-in traffic is way up. I mean, it's busy all the time in there. Wow. I have to devote a lot of a lot of resources to to covering the, the walk-in business. Wow, which I, that's great. I'm I'm happy to do that. Yeah, and I have friends in in other stores in different parts of the country that mainly all their business is internet because they just they don't have the walk in business. Right. But um twelfth avenue has become popular so lots of tourists come down there. Mm-hmm. And uh um so I, I think that's been that's been a positive thing for us. And so many people come to town to play music. They may not end up doing that full time. Yeah. But they still play. Mhm and uh right. so the the per capita of drummers in Nashville's got to be huge compared to sure. to other cities sure. size mm-hmm. i've mentioned a little while ago about the the uh, loyal customers and um i had a a guy a drummer my age that came down the other day and he goes man all the all the old guys that used to hang are gone i said well yeah, they're some of them are retired and some of them are moved on and not playing anymore. So, but there's a a whole new group of guys that are, that come and hang that are yeah. that are working guys and mm-hmm. you know there was like ten guys out in the parking lot the other day. Everybody had their coffee and they're all talking about their gigs and right, their right, endorsements right. and yeah. you know. So there's still a community of guys, and I think drummers are. Uh, have more of a community and a brotherhood than any other musicians. I think drummers seem to share ideas and and help each other yeah. more so than guitar players or yeah. songwriters or there seems to be less of a competition and more of a brotherhood with drummers right
0: right and that 's been a, a topic of conversations like is it a competition, and I think I guess my my opinion is is, is there is a bit of that just to kind of like stay on your game and learn from others but it's a very healthy thing it's not a divisive thing Um, but there is an open there's an openness to that community and I think that's what's been really nice about this podcast is that uh, people have you know shown a lot of interest in what many of the players have to say Mm -hmm. so it's been easy to get the word out uh, locally and beyond, mm-hmm. and every time I approach somebody, they're they're like, "Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, sit down and talk as as you are." So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Trey Gray, uh, his episode came out yesterday. It did, a matter of fact. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he talks about coming into Forks when he first moved to town. Yeah, and uh, your advice to him: sit down in these chairs right here. And uh, just hang out and listen and soak it all up. And uh, you're going to get all kinds of personalities. And I had the same experience. And so you can go listen to his interview, but I can tell you my experience was I come down from Columbus. I meet, in a short amount of time, met incredible players and learned so much. I didn't know a lot about country music. I didn't know a lot about the scene in Nashville, Mm -hmm. who was doing what. Because there are so many one, really wonderful players who are who are uh, names that now are synonymous with you know hit records mm-hmm. and all these other things that you learn in a very short amount of time, but you couldn't pick them out based on their personality ba- based on a preconceived idea that, well, if this person is really um, you know heavyweight, then there's probably a, a bit of a snobbish um persona about them mm-hmm. or something like that and it's so not that it's yeah. quite quite the opposite
1: yeah those snobby arrogant guys they don't they don't last long
0: and, <laughs> it was almost like that was that you can almost identify that person with maybe having just confidence issues yeah. and maybe not quite where they want to be mm-hmm. but it was the guys uh you know that came in like like Tommy Wells yep. and and Greg Morrow and and who were just super sweethearts yep. would talk to you, um, ask you about you, mm-hmm. um, and then you wouldn't really know the things that they had done. Yeah, because they weren't telling you, mm-hmm. they weren't bragging nope. about it. No, so.
1: Tommy. When when Tommy passed away, there were so many people. I can't tell you how many people told almost exactly the same story. Yeah. I came down to Forks, met Tommy, took me to lunch, yeah. took me to a session. Yeah. Anytime I needed help or advice, referred me to gigs. Mm-hmm. I mean, just dozens and dozens of people that Tommy did that for. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, there's, like you said, Greg Morrow's another one, Jerry Kroon. Mm-hmm. And, um, talked to Jerry a couple times. Yeah, yeah. And give you good advice and, yeah. and teach yeah. you how to work.
0: Jerry's advice came up on this podcast. Um, and uh, Tommy uh, has come up many times. And uh, I've told the story before, but I went to one of his sessions and was said, I'll take you out to lunch. And mm-hmm. long story short, I somehow didn't have my wallet on me. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, who does that? But I seriously, I didn't. I didn't. And, you know, he, he just, without. You know, hesitating, man. I got you covered. Yeah, you got I'm like, no. Yeah. This is the whole reason why you agreed to do this, so I could hang out and buy you lunch to kind of like <laughs> pay you for the, your time, and you're just putting up with me. And I didn't even, I couldn't even he do that. I couldn't even commit
1: to he that. didn't care, though. No, man. No. What croon's thing Before we move on, on the yeah, table, yeah, yeah. One of the croon's famous sayings is, "Play drums, shut up, get check." Get what? Get check. Get paid. Oh, get check. <laughs>
0: Play drums. Shut up. Yeah. Get checked.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen him many times pick up a hundred dollar drum and go. Pop, pop. Yep. That'll make money. You know, he didn't have to have a thousand dollar drum to go to a session. He could take anything and, and make it work. Same way with Tommy.
0: Yeah. Man, I I uh, teched for Steve Ferrone and a session. And uh, I said, well, here we've got these snare drums, and we've got this and that, not knowing what he wanted, just or based on some limited information. Yeah. I set up the drums and the cymbals for what I thought he was going to need, ready to pounce on anything new that he wanted, or any changes he needed. Hmm. He hardly moved a thing. Check the snare drum out. Yeah, I can make a record with this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there
0: you go. <laughs> you know, hits the crash cymbal. I'm like, oh, man, what's it? that's a good alright yeah, sounds good I and he made a record it. with I it I love that that's and it great. just yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but here's the thing I was telling one of the guys at the shop the other day that he was like you used to work here I said yeah but I was the worst salesman <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> probably goes down probably in folklore I was one of the worst salesman because I think the vibe was different coming from Columbus to Nashville just the people in general yeah and I, I didn't quite have my finger on the pulse of it yet. Mm-hmm. I, but at the same time, I was always that guy that someone said, "Man, I, I have this pedal and I can't get it to. You know, I'm. I think I want a new pedal." And and I said, "What kind of pedal do you have?" Well, I have this. I'm like, "Oh, that's a great pedal." Yeah. And they're like,
1: "Let's really? fix it. Let's work on it, right?" Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
0: be great and then I'd send them off with their stuff yeah good luck and you know You're that's fine. that's
1: okay too that that works too I mean but you should have sold him a, a new pedal it, but but that's okay if he had a good pedal and he just didn't know how to adjust it that's alright and that pays dividends down the road when they do really need something they'll come back and get it and I'm totally fine with that yeah. I, we do that all the time you had a guy one day that was gonna <laughs> buy like seven thousand dollars worth of drums or something remember that like a exotic DW kit or something yeah, blacked out I and I no, no and he said I'm going to to the ATM to get my money and I'll be back. And we we set the drums up front by the front door and had everything ready for him and he never came back. Do you remember that? I don't remember <laughs> that. I think Alan told that story to somebody else. Oh my gosh. I felt sorry for you. I hated to miss the sale but I mean he's, he totally convinced <laughs> you like I'm going to get my money I'll be right back and we had it all ready never came back
0: <laughs> i just waited by the door it's like a dog
1: puppy dog god. And
0: everybody listen matt we got to close no he'll be back he'll be back i swear to god he'll be back that's so funny gosh i think one of the guys said that he knew that story yeah. alan tells that story whatever keeps him going i know uh, i know whatever he'll be the butt of jokes <laughs> that's fine that was a valuable lesson. I I didn't say this before is when I met guys like Tommy and Greg and all these other, and Jerry and and just all these really sweetheart players, it did make me realize that keep your ego in check. Mm -hmm. Not that I've done anything that that constitutes that type of behavior. Mm -hmm. I have no reason to... To feel that way. But even at times when uh, maybe I'm on the road and there's somebody that wants to see this particular band or whatever, whoever I'm working Mm -hmm. with. And and if somebody wants to meet the band, um, to always make sure that I'm kind and and, uh, just treat people the way I was treated, no matter what
1: situation I'm Mm -hmm. in. Um, it's a good lesson. It's a good life lesson for, yeah. for, for anybody. Yeah. And, and we, we really do have some, some world class players that, that come in there. Um, Billy Thomas, for one, who yeah. is, plays with Vince Gill. Right. I knew he was great. You know, I knew he was a good player, but I saw him on the Clapton's Crossroads thing. Yes. And then I saw him on the, um, the other thing. Maybe I mean, have a crossover name into it, but it was, it was Vince and Sting.
0: Right, that's a crossroads, yeah. and then uh, right. But well, they're both yeah, they're
1: both crossroads. Right? But both crossroads. Um, but Billy, you know, playing all that stuff with Sting and just nailing that all, and just and um, sings yeah, and sings exactly yeah. I ran into him in a restaurant before I knew
0: him, and I said I I went over and, and it's you know you don't want to bug people when they're eating, but mm-hmm. I think he was getting up to pay the check or something. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm sorry, man. I said, I feel like I know you. You're a drummer in town, aren't you? are you? And he goes, yeah. Billy and introduced himself, was real sweet, and then paid his check and then came back over and said, what's your name, who you work with, and how are you, mm-hmm. and just was real sweet. And yeah. then uh, we did some shows with Vince Gill, and and it was just great to just mm-hmm. sit there real close and watch him and, and uh, saw him on the mini-documentary that just came out. We were talking about that when you got here. Um, tell me about that. What's the impetus for that what's what came up with
1: you know? uh, well I, actually Derek Lewis one of my newer guys just did it as a surprise took took it upon himself um,
0: produced it didn't you yeah. just showed it to you when yeah. it was done
1: yeah oh cool and uh, he just would grab different guys you know, as mm-hmm. they came in say you got a few minutes and come in here and tell me about why you come in here and what mm-hmm. you do and mm-hmm. and it was it was really cool it was very gratifying to hear those guys and it's we, we definitely appreciate yeah the kind words so. right
0: so on your va- on your Facebook page uh, you can go there and people can see that just mm-hmm. this it's a nice um, just a snapshot of the attitudes that uh, a lot of uh, players have when they're when they're there for sure
1: yeah it's a bunch of good guys yeah. so we're'd we're, be pretty- disappointed if I didn't see them every day <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um Oh, tell me about your background with, with playing. Um, what got you interested in
1: music and drums in particular well, just, as a kid? You know, I'm, I'm 57. I was born in 1957, so when the Beatles came around, I was, what, six years old? Yeah. So I wanted to be in a band like, like Ringo, you know? Yeah. And um, played in band in school, played in marching band for a little while, and then uh, got in a little three-piece band in junior high, started playing and that's really all I wanted to do besides yep. play basketball and I'm five ten so that was that was, <laughs> was happening um, so you know i um I was playing around town playing on the road some and and uh, got married and was going out on the road and I thought ah, this is crazy I got a new wife at home and and there's plenty of work in nashville and so that's when I approached corner music about you know working in the drum department right. and being able to stay in town and work, and really that was my busiest times. You know, playing in five or six bands and subbing for people and working around town. If you if you go out of town, it's it's hard to keep in the loop on that. Yeah, you know, you know, right. That it if, continues to be that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, right. Um, so, but what, was there something about drums that you gravitated towards over other instruments?
1: You know, there was a couple of drummers in my neighborhood, a couple of older guys that played drums and. Yeah. Um I don't know maybe it was easier than guitar at the time for me you know <laughs> yeah. a lot of people were playing guitar Yeah uh, I don't know what drew me to it but yeah uh, I just I've always liked playing the drums I like playing piano too yeah, I just it, didn't but, have the dedication at the time to to learn piano the way I did drums
0: But it's encouraging to you're like look I'm 57 and I'm taking piano lessons mm-hmm. And that's I think that's less uncommon these days. I think people are discovering like no i I'm going to do this when you know there isn't certain things that people well when you're young, you do this, and when you're old yeah. you do this there's yeah. you know right th- those there's no more
1: that that uh type of rule that people follow mm-hmm. but, um, I just have this desire to play music still. I play in four bands right now
0: well you- right, you mentioned the two,
1: yeah. There, they, there's they? another band called the World Famous Channel Cats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does old classic rock and roll stuff. Yeah. Some really good players and singers in that band. Like mm-hmm. playing with those guys. There's a, another band that kind of a party band. that kind of does mm-hmm. funk and dance stuff. That I play oh, with. Cool. So, and then the the Blues Apostles, my my yeah, original band. Right, right, so, right. That, that keeps me reasonably busy. Sure. Sure.
0: One thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've never come off to me as a gearhead, like yeah, you like certain things. Your passion, like, look, these Gretsch drums, they're awesome. Yeah. I always love them, but compared to a lot of people that work for you, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah right, right, right. You um, don't just don't come off as, as right. I'm, you know, I'm like, with you. I like I like drums. I like especially vintage stuff. I have a decent vintage collection. Right. But um, it's – you're right. I'm really more about what what I can create with the instrument than, mm-hmm. than uh, you know, all of the integral parts of it and the bearing edges and yeah all that kind of stuff.
0: But do you feel like you have to keep up on that yeah. stuff?
1: Yeah, I need to. I need to be able to explain that to yeah. people and – you know, they'll ask about all these different heads, and and I'll go. Well, listen, listen to this coded ambassador. Bow. You know, right, that's right. that's what I like. That's what sounds good to me. So, do you feel like
0: your opinion sometimes uh, steers people in a certain direction?
1: That maybe do you have to remain more neutral? I try to. Yeah. But sometimes, if somebody asks me, "What do you like and what do you play?" I have to be honest about it. Right. 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 You know. So. Has there any, been anything gear-wise that's come down that's really
0: kind of raised your antenna and said, "Man, this is good. They're, they're breaking new ground in this old instrument, you know," or they're doing something new that I think has has is a long time coming.
1: Well, the Gretsch so, Broadcaster is a pretty cool thing. That's yeah. the old three ply show from the fifties.
0: Maple, poplar, maple. Uh huh. Okay.
1: And um, I think they nailed that. Paul Cooper at Gretsch, just he he had some old drums to, mm-hmm. to kind of use as his samples, and and uh, they worked on it, and I think they really nailed it. They got the sound mm-hmm. with the great look, and so that that's a cool thing that's happened. Joyful Noise is a very very cool company. That
0: tell me about them because I I, I see those a lot. They're beautiful snare drums. They sound really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the price point is a little high. It is. What is the what is the story behind those?
1: Well, and I hope I don't mess this up, but Kurt is uh, Kurt Waltrip. It's his company, and I think it's kind of basically designed off of the old twenties Ludwig's, mm-hmm. you know, with that that type of shell and that mm-hmm. sound. And they're heavy. Yeah, yeah. Heavy. But he has some different thicknesses, and he's got okay. an aluminum shell now. He's got mm-hmm. some wood drums. He's really expanded that, and I think he's going to expand into drum sets in the oh, near wow. future too. Wow. So, so that part will be really cool. But it's just a really well-made, American-made product, mm-hmm. and you pay for it, but it's, yeah. they hold their value pretty well. We've had a few used ones, and we've sold them for a pretty high dollar. And okay. It's one of those kind of instruments that you can buy and keep for a lifetime, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah, a yeah. beautiful-sounding instrument. Yeah.
0: American drums have always had—people uh, always identify them as having a certain soul— that other manufacturers have always tried to recreate, yeah um, and so you've got you know Gretsch and Ludwig and you know even Slingerland mm-hmm. to a degree, and rogers you know, and then d w s come into the d w s
1: really you know was from the old camco stuff
0: right, right, right. Have you seen it influence the Japanese companies in in a positive way
1: I think so um you remember there was a period where where Pearl made a, a shell that was just like the DW shell, the four ply four ply reinforcement hoop. Okay. I think that was MMX. Yeah. During that period, mm-hmm. um, you know some of the thinner shells mm-hmm. uh, like like Gretch. Yeah. Um, what uh, Star Classic Thomas Star Classics?
0: Right. I think were, they're reissuing those out mm-hmm. or something.
1: That was that was yeah. I think very Gretch. Uh, okay. Oriented. Um, but the japanese would uh, a lot of the asian companies would take a, a basic idea and improve on it and be able to sell it even cheaper yeah you know yeah. i think a lot of the pearl tama yamaha had very very high quality stuff right right as opposed to maybe what ludwig and gretsch and those guys were doing at the time was not great quality right it is now it's much better now but i think that's just that's the competition
0: that, mm-hmm. that elevates everybody mm-hmm. and and, and it almost seems to me that um, people always say, "You know, everybody's making great drums. Everybody's making really good instruments. Uh, and I think it has to do with technology mm-hmm. and the inf- and the influence of competition mm-hmm. because sometimes to me, there's um, if I go someplace and there's backline, it's like, oh, they're gonna have this type of kit. Well, okay. The toms are going to sound great, but I'm not sure about the hardware. Mm-hmm. Or, well, the hardware's going to be rocking, but that kick drum's going to sound thin. I know that for sure. <laughs> Depending on, hopefully the heads aren't too out of whack.
1: Don't you wish there was a school that all the backline companies had to go to, or they had to get some kind of qualification to, to, to supply you with a drum kit? You know? Right, right. <laughs>
0: well, because a lot of the backline companies are, uh, especially... Outside of major places like L.A. and and Nashville. They're sound guys, aren't they? Right, or yeah. they're... Or they're, uh, they're engineers. They're, in Columbus, we had a, a guy who was a drummer who ran backline. so I felt sorry for the guitar players <laughs> that, you know... Well, that amp work yesterday. I don't, yeah, you know, right, I don't know what right, it is. Right, right. What's a tube? And then... I think there was a guy I worked with recently that was an engineer, but and we talk, we were talking for a bit, and he said he never really learned any instruments fully. He kind of dabbled in mm-hmm. a little bit of guitar and a little bit of that. And um, I see him maybe once or twice a year, and um, I'll make a suggestion here or there. So mm-hmm. the kick drum head has changed mm-hmm. over the
1: last couple of years. He, he did listen, huh? He did listen.
0: <laughs> I think he had some ZBTs... And I and so I would fly cymbals when I knew it was going to be him at this, you know. And I, I think last time I talked to him, and uh, I flew out there, and he goes, "I got you hooked up," and it was all K's.
1: Mm-hmm. That's nice. And it, maybe one of the themes for one of your podcasts could be backline companies. This is what you can do to improve your service yeah. to working drummers.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe the one time I can't get a guest, but so far, <laughs> I'll do it on my own. I'll sit my dog here. What do you think uh, – how do you think Forks is different than a lot of other boutique drum shops?
1: Um, uh, one of the things is to me is the hands on a- Any customer can come in and play any instrument in there. There's nothing that's really put away and we say don't touch. Yeah. you know lot, there's several kits that are set up that are available to sit down and play and all the symbols are accessible yeah. and so it gets noisy in there sometimes sure. and, and you know a symbol may have some stick marks on it or fingerprints or whatever yeah. but but to me, you got to play an instrument. Right. Before you buy it, right. and I've heard stories of even the old manis in New York, way back. Yeah, that it's that trumpet's on the shelf. Yeah, let me see your money, and I'll get it down there. Mm. You know, I never wanted that vibe in there. I want everybody to feel comfortable and yeah. and be able to try out right. what they buy. But also, what about
0: the clientele? Because I know there's a lot of players that come in and they they come in to see their buddies, they come in to hang out and get some sticks, but. You get a handful of these players that they don't necessarily need to be there because they've got their endorsements. Right, right. And, um, I mean, there's many of us that don't have endorsements, and we're there, and uh, Forks is somewhat of our endorsement, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, But how does that, because you said before we cater to the high-end drummer,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but you guys have lessons there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You have five teachers
1: i think so yeah
0: yeah uh, and so there's going to be all levels there
1: yeah and and we want obviously beginners coming in there and that's why mm-hmm. we dedicate you know, those three rooms to lessons and yeah and while we do school business and mm-hmm. while we carry low-end kits we want more of that right um and we want all all genres of drummers you know mm-hmm. i mean i'm a weekend warrior myself, so right, right. we want all those players coming in there, right. uh, and I, I hope for that that they see that we cater to to all price ranges and all t- styles of drummers. Yeah. It's just that I learned a long time ago that if we focused on certain things that the big competition doesn't, then that gives us this niche, and it eliminates us from you know beating our brains out at five ninety nine all day long for Right. A drum kit. So, you know. so the things
0: that you guys focus on over, like, what uh, Sam Ash would do mm-hmm. uh, is going to be, first of all, just the knowledge mm-hmm. of the people that work there, um, being well being able to play the instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my question was kind of stemmed from the fact that Nashville, like a f- just a few cities, is a heavy music town. Mm-hmm. So you're going to probably carry certain things Yeah, that somebody else is.
1: Well, yeah. An example: uh, we had a store in Knoxville for a while. Okay. That we tried for a few years, Mm -hmm. ended up closing, and it just didn't quite work. It was during the probably the worst part of the recession. Okay. But um, I I took a lot of different snare drums up there. Yeah. We didn't sell them. Guys up in that part of the state seemed to be happy with one drum snare drum and. They didn't buy multiple snare drums, and wow. I was confused about that because everybody in Nashville's got multiple snare drums. You go to a session yeah. or you know, you have different gigs and you have different sounding snare drums for, yeah. for each gig and each type of music, and right. that didn't work there. Right. And so I've, re- I've learned that, that in other parts of the country that's the case. God guy buys a drum set, if there's a snare with it, that's what he plays. Wow. So that was a real learning curve for me there. I, okay. Why aren't we selling snare drums? I don't yeah. get this. yeah. But we have a whole room dedicated to snare drums. here. There's over 200-something snares in that room.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, that's a big deal for us here.
0: You also have a really large cymbal display, and there's Mm -hmm. sticks there Mm -hmm. for people to play or people to um, try out cymbals. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike Jackson was in there, and uh, he hit a hi-hat cymbal or close the hi-hat, and uh, you could hear all the cymbals resonating, <laughs> yeah. and he samples that sound. Yeah. And so, as we get the video going, you're going to he- see this graphic come up that's going to show your name, this thing, every once in a while it zooms in, it's going to Gary Forkham. Psh, come <laughs> and that sound, a very slight sound, if you listen carefully, those are all your cymbals in your
1: cymbal room. At Forks, going, shh, <laughs> zoom. I've often wondered if uh, somebody could come sample some drum kits out in that room with all of those drums ringing out there, too, on that tile floor. And
0: yeah, that yeah. It might be cool. Why did you guys, and, and was this after the flood yeah. that you changed the yeah. tile? yeah.
1: And my, why my, not? Why not carpeting? Well, we have some rugs, you know, some area rugs. Right, right, right. Uh, right. My thought is, if this ever happens again, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a mop and a squeegee and run it on out of here. I won't have to replace the carpet, okay? Because that was that was nasty, you know, yeah, the water yeah, yeah. soaking yeah. into the carpet. So, right, yeah.
0: Um, I and and I guess another thing we just briefly touched on was the school thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how involved are you guys in in schools and colleges here? Locally? School
1: business is about. 20 to 25 percent of our overall business uh-huh. we get the pearl core stuff back and sell it every year mm-hmm. we sell a lot of drum heads and mallets and mm-hmm. um, we sell uh, the majestic stuff which is Mapex, uh, KHS okay. been selling some Yamaha stuff lately so mm-hmm. that's what Alan rice does for us and yeah. he's tuned into that and you know that's a big part of our business
0: right right I noticed that you um, before and that's just an area that i i never uh... i didn't do uh, drum corps i did marching band in high school for a couple of years but um... i think that was uh, an area of retail and and drumming that i, I missed but uh, I, it's still fascinated it's with...
1: a separate animal i mean it's it is it's... it
0: is it, it, just as a uh, from a retail point, it, it is a completely different animal with different heads and different types mm-hmm. of drums and a whole line of sticks and mallets yep. that go into that. Um, from a playing standpoint, um, I, I'm fascinated with with people's ability to Their chops, play this, how good the they chops are at and, them. Mm-hmm. and what they learn and, and maybe when they take it, uh, down the road, if they uh, turn uh, music into a career,
1: mm-hmm. how they carry that skill over. And, it's, you know, one of the things that I don't see as much as I used to are those guys crossing over and being drum set players. It really? seems to be defined between the mm-hmm. two now. Mm-hmm. There are some, you know, right. there'll be some guys that'll come in and say, you know, I was in marching band or I was in a yeah. core when I was younger but yeah. that, that are drum set players. But right. it seems to be separated more than right. it used to be. And I'd love to see that. Go back the other way and yeah. and have some of those guys take those chops yeah. to the kids. You know? And we've had a couple interviews, um, Steve Eby being
0: one mm-hmm. of them, and Bryce Williams another one of them, and both uh, players I, I admire a lot. And uh, they have uh, great hands. And they said, "Well, I did drum corps and I did mm-hmm. this stuff."
1: And Pat McDonald, yeah. plays with Charlie Daniels. He's yeah. got great chops. He was a he was a core guy. <laughs>
0: of the things in the mini documentary that keeps coming up is the word family Mm -hmm. uh, for the shop. And um, where do you think that came from? Or why do you think that people
1: associate that word so much with Forkstrom Closet? Um, Well, not only does most of my family work there, right? (laughs) my daughter's not there right now, but who knows, she, she may be back at some point, you know, but your son-in-law is working at the, exactly. (laughs) So exactly. And my representatives and and, and my granddaughter, she's spent most of the summer there. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and, and, you know, my wife does all the books and uh, and a lot of the ordering and, Mm -hmm. you know, she's usually responsible for our success, just Mm -hmm. managing the financial part of it and making sure we keep all the bills paid. and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I you know, I think um that just kinda of grows into the to the guys that work there. Yeah. it's kind of a family vibe and, and um you know, it's just it, I don't know, it's just kinda of how we do it. And, you know my wife I always, say, Hey y'all, hey, what are you doing? Hugging everybody that comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, she knows my kids' names mm-hmm. and she asks how they're doing mm-hmm. and I think um I think my dad visited once and then maybe two years later he was visiting and we stopped by and Melissa was like, Hey, Mr. Krause, how are you? And he looked at me and goes, how does she know? <laughs>
1: She's got a great memory for people's names better than me. Actually. Oh, right, so, yeah. right. right. So.
0: That's where I think the word's like, Hey man, mm, what's mm. up?
1: <laughs> how are you? And
0: all those people that that's why I wish all your guys had name tags because I get to know them, and um, have these really great conversations, and we talk about all this stuff, and then years will go by, and I'll be like, I don't know this what guy's name. name. Yeah, I know. And I'm, and I can pull Alan aside or Matt aside and say, mm-hmm. Man, who's this guy's name? But it also gets, it almost gets
1: beyond the point where you can ask that. I think I would have a mutiny if I ask him to wear like company shirts with their names
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing though. no 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 it, it, it helps no I should know their, know their names and I apologize if I don't know anybody's name but it's, it's maybe we should that.
1: take pictures of everybody and put their names under it and hang it up front
0: it'd be like that Seinfeld episode yeah. where they have everyone's picture and you know yeah you can, you can give
1: hugs and kisses <laughs> to everybody on the way out of the store uh, Gary, thank you, man. You're welcome. I thanks, appreciate thanks it so for, much. Uh, Thanks for asking me.
0: So there you go. There's our interview with Gary Forkham. As you might have noticed, uh, we talked about me working for Gary about 10 or 11 years ago. That was awesome. I learned so much uh, just being there. And if you're ever in town, make a point to stop by Fork's Drum Closet on 12th Avenue. Or go online, check out their website, and see what they've got. We'll post some pictures of their store. It is awesome. It's just a great place to hang, and you never know who you're going to run into. A big supporter of the podcast has been Lee Kelly. And uh, Lee has actually been a guest on the podcast, and it was an awesome hang with him. But I want to go back to when we first started back in January. Here's a tweet from, uh, from January. Uh, Lee tweets: All drummers! Exclamation point. Check out the new podcast out of Nashville, and that was really awesome. I've got another one here from Jeremy Warren at Working Drummer. I dig your podcast, bro. And there's another one he writes in March. Awesome, man. Ben, amazing. Thanks for doing it, bro. He's talking about Ben Caesar. I know it's not easy. I appreciate it. Keep it up, Matt. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Lee. You guys are two of uh, a bunch of people that are tweeting, and it's encouraging. So anyways, um, thanks for listening. Again, thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical abilities and prowess in helping me get this online and on YouTube. We've got more videos on YouTube to check out. So thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope to see you around.